Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. I'm Mike Salmon, sitting in once again today for Duffy Dixon, and joining me is Ben Sawyer, the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched Soar Vision Group to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Also with us is Lisa Council, the Chief Commercial Officer with Soar Vision Group. Lisa has over 20 years of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience. She spent 19 years at the McKesson Corporation. Our special guest once again today is Dr. George Benson, the Professor of Decision Sciences at the College of Charleston. He currently serves as the Baldrige Foundation's Chairman of the Board, in addition to serving on the Board of Directors for three public companies, Agco, Crawford & Company, and Primerica. Dr. Benson graduated from Bucknell University with a bachelor's degree in mathematics. He did graduate work at New York University and earned a doctorate in decision sciences from the University of Florida. He taught in the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota, served as the dean of the Rutgers Business School at Rutgers University, and as dean of the Terry College of Business at the University of Georgia prior to serving eight years as the president of the College of Charleston, where he continues to teach statistics. And Ben, this week will be a deep dive discussion following last week's episode. That's right, Mike. And to the listeners, we are really privileged to have Dr. Benson on a second uh, week in a row. And as all of you know that have listened to our show before, this is our deep dive session. So this is where we take a lot of what you could have heard last week and unpack it to make it quite practical. So if, if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's show, please do so. There was a lot of great information and history of the Baldridge uh, conveyed. So Dr. Benson, this week what we want to be able to do is get into how do we make this practical. And my thought is that for the listeners, if we basically just have a side-by-side chart that says, here are some of the challenges that organizations commonly face, and here is how the comprehensive approach of the Baldridge can overcome those challenges, maybe we can just start at the top with what you talked about last week is an engaged and knowledgeable board. That's a great place to start. I've been on seven boards So I've had a lot of experience. I've been involved with the National Association of Corporate Directors. I speak with dozens of other directors around the country to understand what their issues and and problems are. So I can tell you that one of the big challenges is directors, without consciously knowing it, are being encouraged to use what I call reductionist thinking, analytical thinking, scientific thinking, where you take things apart to explain them. And they're ignoring systems thinking which is sort of the opposite. Mm -hmm. Every one of our organizations is a hierarchy of systems and subsystems. And in systems thinking, what you're doing is you you go up and down in the organizations. You go up to a higher level. The problems and issues that emerge at the highest level of the organization are different than the problems that emerge at the middle or the lower part of the organization. Mm -hmm. So when you take things apart, you're simplifying. When you use systems thinking, you're exploiting the complexity if you will, mm-hmm. you're keeping it in front of you. And sometimes 
for example, in a university setting at the College of Charleston where I was president, uh, you might have an issue that a student says, oh, no, this is a problem. I don't like the way this particular department is, is operating. Well, well, whose fault is that? Well, maybe it's the individual professor, maybe it's a department chair, or maybe you go up a level. Maybe it's the business school itself and it's the dean. Well, wait, maybe you go up another level to the provost or another level to the president. But you might find out that you have to go outside the organization to the state. It might be the legislature, because mm -hmm. this is a public university. So if you view the system you're working with as a hierarchy like that, and think about solving your problems by looking at different levels to understand the problem, don't just immediately dive in and employ the scientific method. You're gonna do better. It right. keeps, keeps you in, in perspective. So what happens to on boards of directors is, before a board meeting, you're gonna get five to 700 pages in a board book, including the board book materials and the, the committee materials of the committees you might be on, the audit committee or the compensation committee or the governance committee. That causes you to want to try to simplify things and reduce it. Okay, well, really, what's important there? I can't, right. I can't get through 700 pages and learn all of this and question all of this. You know, so you sort of simplify. Then you go to a board meeting, and things are presented by different vice presidents or different executive vice presidents. So they're talking about this division, then that division, then another division. You rarely are talking across the divisions. You're rarely talking about are they sharing best practices or not? Are the HR policies the same from organization to organization and so forth? So again, you're being forced into sort of smaller subunits. Mm -hmm. When you talk financials, you're going to talk about overall the whole organization. You do that quite frequently. But generally speaking, you're talking to one executive at a time within the organization. So that's encouraging you to do reductionist thinking. Then boards work in committees. Well, each committee, okay, you got the audit committee, okay, we're dealing with financials there. You got the governance committee dealing with governance. We got the, maybe a succession committee, a compensation committee. Once again, we're reducing this reductionist approach and we're, we're not using enough systems thinking. And, and finally, the, the other point is the complexity that's coming at directors these days. Uh, you go back into the, the 80s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, boards were sometimes known as more ceremonial mm -hmm. yeah. in the sense that, okay, you know, the CEO was kind of in charge and the board members sort of shook their heads. And that's an exaggeration. Sure. But then we hit the Enron debacle in the early two, 2001 or thereabouts. And after that debacle, the stock markets began to require boards to have executive sessions. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that means the CEO and the management team is not in the room. Suddenly boards are empowered. And boards from then on were known as being liberated, if you will. Today, because of all of the things that are coming at the boards, ESG, environmental, social, governance, mm -hmm. diversity issues, climate change, all of these things, stakeholders now are not just the shareholders anymore, and on and on and on. The complexity that's hitting them is again, forcing them to be reductionist and not thinking broadly enough and not, they have to take on so many things. So I'm, I'm concerned that there's not enough systems thinking being, you, you must use both. You must use reductionist thinking and systems thinking. There's not enough systems thinking. So, so for the listeners, let's just talk about the implications yes. of that. Yes. And also what the board needs from the rest of the organization to actually engage in systems thinking. Yes. So you touched on a couple of implications, mm -hmm. but maybe just elucidate. If a board is doing reductionist thinking and not doing systems thinking, what will be the impact on the organization? Okay, th th this again would be like you're optimizing individual subsystems or you're learning about the board is learning about individual subsystems, but not how they all work together. 
And their job is oversight of the whole thing, not mm-hmm. of just one individual subsystem or two. So, so, mm-hmm. so an That's implication right. can be that the strategy, whatever it is, could either be inaccurate or poorly executed. That's right. That leadership, management, empowerment, and competency could be compromised because they're not helping from the standpoint of oversight to ensure that leaders can be as effective as they need to be. That's correct? right. That's right. Uh, another is that it's very difficult to empower frontline leaders and or frontline if you have no connection with the actual system sources of the problem, right? That's right. Or if you don't understand don't the culture understand. of the uh, of, of the employee base. So this goes to the other challenges that we talked about. In other words, if you don't have an engaged and knowledgeable board that is using systems-based thinking and yes. not reductionist, it will create or, or potentiate leadership gaps. Across the organization. I mean, you're exactly right. One of the simple things you can do to facilitate systems thinking is using charts that show relationships, you know, charts that show flows, charts that show causal connections. You know, once in a while in a board meeting, you'll see a slide like that. And I think those are the slides that should be preserved. Those are the slides that should go onto the portal in like a resource section where you can go back to it. It's, it's, here's an overview of the whole organization. And I can, I can see it. I can see the flow. I can see where the products flow, where they come from the supply. It shows the suppliers on this end. It shows the customers on the other end. It shows the flow in the middle. And it's an overview of the organization. Or maybe it's an overview of just one of the subsystems. Mm-hmm. But it shows it graphically so that you can quickly look at it, understand it, and really understand, yes, this is a system. It's maybe more complicated than I thought. I see these relationships in there I didn't understand before. So diagrams that show relationships and show flows are very helpful. So, so the board does not sit in isolation here. You described the reasons that this happens. I mean, 640-page yes. board packets and the, the sort of fragmentation of the decision-making process yes. right, precipitates reduction. From the standpoint of the rest of the organization, then, how can they support that board function? One of the things that we are very weak on in this country is understanding below the board of what the board does. What's the board's responsibilities? Until you get to be in a position where you're actually interacting with the board, now you're an executive vice president or a CEO, okay, you learn there. But when you're a middle manager, you don't know what the board does. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's not an education process. Maybe we've all seen it in business schools 10 or 20 years ago. Maybe it was touched on, but until you actually are confronted with the situation of having a board above you and understand that's where the power is. It's not with the CEO, I would, it's with the board. Right. And understand I think that, there's some CEOs that don't even understand no, that. No, you're exactly sure. right. I would not agree with that. Would not that's agree it. with that, yeah. But the truth, of the, the truth of the matter is that is actually how yes. it's structured. That's how it's structured. So let's connect for the to the listening audience. The Baldrige framework is a systems Yes. Framework. Yes. So the notion that we talked about last week where you're looking under every stone, essentially, of leadership, category one, strategy, development, and deployment, category two, mm-hmm. customers, voice of the customer, which is a, a big part of systems sure thinking, is. category three, measurement, analysis, mm-hmm. and knowledge management, which many people refer to as MACM, yes. which is, to your point, particularly with your background, data tells you what's actually happening or right. not happening. 
ultimately is going to influence workforce engagement, which is Category 5, the ability to operate, which is Cat 6, and ultimately the results that the board should see, yes. which is Category 7 across the entire organization. So if I'm hearing you right, on the solution side of this table, if you start with a Baldrige framework approach, the board, through making that decision, becomes immediately empowered to move from reductionist thinking to systems thinking. Is that correct? Yes. So you want to use both types of thinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, and so there's just this bias toward reductionist thinking. You're pushed or almost forced so to in be that balanced. direction. So somebody, and it's management that can help. Management, as again, as I've said before, management has the information, the board has the power. Management needs to put its information in a different form than it typically does. Make sure there's some of these, a number of these systems charts. I could see every single presentation by a, uh, let's say, a vi- an executive vice president might start out with a systems chart of the entire organization and then call out his or her piece of the organization and maybe then followed by a systems chart of just that particular organization that he's talking about. Keep coming back to it. Remember that these directors are parachuting in mm-hmm. four, five, six, seven times a year. They're not there day in and day out. And these sorts of overviews help to give them the big picture, mm-hmm. help to keep them in Don't context. Don't assume that they understand That's right. how Don't the organization Keep it framed for them. Mm-hmm. Don't just go right down into the weeds, mm-hmm. uh, which just will lose the directors. And if, if that's one of the things. You know, boards are pushed to do more and more with strategy. And the reason that you have to push them is to get they, they're so easily pulled down into the weeds mm-hmm. where they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So let's go on the challenge side of our table. Let's go down a level then. Okay. Because we've talked about the board, and I think that was super clear. But you've just connected the dots to leadership gaps. Yes. From your experience with organizations – are leaders always seeing things from a systemized standpoint, or is there reductionist thinking there as well? No, but more so than the board. Now, you know, systems thinking largely emerged in the, in the 1950s, but it really became prominent during the quality revolution right. that took place in the Western world, sort of starting, let's call it in the late 70s, on in through the early 80s. And we started to, th- to think more in terms of systems and use systems language and managers would have seen a lot of that in, in business schools back then, and from then on. And so it has been a common part of management's language. It just hasn't risen to the boards. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that management can do is make sure that the boards are kept apprised and encouraged to do and use systems thinking and systems, systems approaches. So it's not as much a problem for management. But you know you do have CEOs who get focused on a particular issue or a particular problem and are not focusing on the entire organization. What the, the Baldrige framework is allowing you to look at the organization as a whole, as one, and understand that if you're going to work on, on Division A, that might be affecting Division B and so forth. Yeah, Baldrige framework seems like a natural place that systems thinking would be kind of accentuated it's, it's the discipline of systems right, thinking right yes it is a discipline that's exactly and, right. and, and by the way a, a, a phrase we sometimes will represent as a contrast is the tyranny of the urgent yes <laughs> right so in other of words course. as a lead i mean that happens every day for leaders uh, every it's day. like i got fires that are going you know going on I, i'm tyrannized literally yes. by the urgent i would love to do systems thinking yes. but who has time for that well 
Yes, so, as a university president, I used to go into the office thinking today, I'm going to do A, B, and C. Nope, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, you walk come into the office and things happen. And you so that brings <laughs> us to the next level because we talked about engaged and knowledge rewards. We talked about leadership gaps. We'll come back to leadership gaps because we're mm -hmm. basically just now hitting this tyranny of the urgent thing. But the level below that is this notion of empowerment and frontline execution. And there's the old adage, many hands make light work. Yes. So if you are already set up, in a structured, organized way where everyone understands their role and how it ties to the strategy, it's easier to Much react easier. to the urgent. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because you're not you, having to create structures that don't no, exist. No, and you can put things in perspective. Mm -hmm. So you, you understand the system as it currently exists and all of a sudden there's a major disruption or change from the outside. You can, t you can deal with it in the context of the existing organization. You don't just panic and run away from the existing organization. So let's lean into that for just a second, mm -hmm. because part of the argument of not having used the Baldridge is it's too complicated. In other words, the systemness of it actually takes some time. Yes. But what you're saying now is if you invest in that, it's counterintuitive. You actually become more nimble and more agile yes. because you set up the system structure mm -hmm. yes. and its accountability and its empowerments up front. But, yes, but also recognize that it may look complicated but it's really not complicated. It's actually pretty simple. I had you pull out a systems chart again, and you know there is one in the Baldridge criteria, in the, the Baldridge framework, Baldridge Performance Excellence framework, that shows quite simply uh, what's involved. You, you've talked through the, the different uh, categories, the right. seven categories, and they're all linked together. They're relationships, and they affect each other. And what you do in strategy is obviously going to affect the results. What you do in leadership is going to affect the results. What you do yes. with your customers, what you do with your workforce, how you measure things, how you learn, all of that is going to affect your results. Yes. It's all linked together. And for the listeners, um, our leaderdialogue.com website, and dialogue is D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E, uh, has an organizational hierarchy of needs that shows this interconnection. Yes. And they can click on the various components of that and understand how that's interconnected. So exactly. Every organization has a hierarchy of needs, much like Maslow's, mm -hmm. and there are intersections between strategy and leadership and workforce engagement and operational effectiveness and customer value uh, development and so forth. So exactly. It doesn't have to be complicated. No. Is, is the point. It's it And it, it's immediately applicable. All organizations have a hierarchy of needs but don't necessarily recognize it. Correct. Exactly. Right. We have this cascade of challenges then. I'm just going to repeat. So engaged and knowledgeable leadership or a board, engaged and knowledgeable board, leadership systems thinking mm -hmm. and not being just detracted by the tyranny of the urgent. The, uh, the notion then of employees being engaged and the, the example we were talking about in prep for the show was when John F. Kennedy went to Nassau and he, he saw a housekeeper in the hallway and he said, hey, tell me what you're doing. And he said, I'm putting a man on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> right? Perfect. It's perfect. Absolutely perfect. That gets, for me, that gets back to the purpose of the organization. That gets back to your strategic plan. Why does your this why. organization exist? Mm -hmm. Walt Disney, to make people happy. Primerica, a company I happen to be on the board on, to create financially independent families and so forth. So if a, a leader, list. a frontline leader, or an individual like the housekeeper yes. is at a fork in the road, yes. as long as they know the organization's purpose, there's a higher probability of them making the right decision. Exactly. Exactly. And that purpose should be something that exists 
probably before they're even hired. Mm -hmm. And so you want to, your purpose should be something that would motivate, yeah, I want to be part of that organization. I like what they're trying to, to do. To motivate you to yeah. be so high, high tech solutions for farmers feeding the world. That's Agco, farm equipment, Massey Ferguson, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tractors and so forth. That's there, I'm so on it, that board. It, it, it should awesome. be a part of both the hiring and onboarding process then to make sure you're bringing on people that share that. Yes. That mission, that yes. that statement of purpose, exactly, it's, which is, by the way, included as you well know in the Baldridge. That's a part of Category Five workforce, which is onboarding and making right. sure that you have alignment, and it also helps with retention, because people tend to want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. That's right. So, getting back to our challenges, if you have disconnects between an engaged and knowledgeable board and leadership feeling tyrannized by the urgent and therefore not able from a systems standpoint to empower the front line as many hands make light work and everybody's engaged, yes. then ultimately what's gonna happen if, if you, is your results are gonna be impacted. Right, your system is essentially breaking apart. The alignment is, is lost. The incentive structure has changed suddenly as people focus on a new issue, a new problem and sort of forget what's going on in the day-to-day -day world that they've been living in for the last five years. So let's go back to the conversation we had last week, which was, is this really an option in a highly paced market where you have all these incredible forces? Can you really afford not to be a system? No, you, you, you can't possibly. And, and it goes back to the board of directors again. As we talked about earlier, the board of directors is a, a, an example. So this is going to be 8 to 12 people usually that are going to be under tremendous pressure now in this new world that we're in, digital pressure, cybersecurity all of a sudden. They're worrying about all of these kinds of issues that they didn't have 5, 10 years ago. Right. Uh, and so the same thing is happening down through the entire organization. They need systems thinking now more than they ever needed it. Uh, you, you know, in other words, with, with, with systems thinking, you're able to look at the whole organization, understand the implications of this thing that's happened here over on the side, just this disruption that's occurred down the street. How, how is this going to affect us? And if our, you know, our strategic, when we're doing strategic planning these days too, you know, we can't just assume that we're going to be able to hit that envisioned future that we've got for 10 years out, all of a sudden a disruption comes in. So I need, I need to quickly go back to my strategic plan and perhaps adjust that as well. Unlikely that the purpose has changed. The purpose should probably is true today as it is 100 years from now. Unlikely that the values are going to change. But your envisioned future and the strategies and the goals and the objectives, many of them, if not all of them, could change as a result of disruption but you still have to be able to maintain the culture of your organization. You still have to be able to maintain the incentives. You still have to hire people and let people go. All the normal things go on. You can't ignore that. And if you've got a systems approach, you'll recognize it. You'll recognize, yeah, I've got to deal with this, this, this new urgency, but I've also got this major organization I've got to keep running. So let's use a metaphor, sports metaphor, because everybody understands those, of an NFL football team. So every one of them has a playbook. Uh, the challenge is, depending on what's coming at them and the change of the defense and the rapid cycle of the game, are they able to execute on their playbook, right? And so what they do is they practice and practice and practice, and the best teams do blocking and tackling better, which is yes, a basics. systems approach, yes. right? Those that haven't done that and get into a crisis – 
where it's a rapid cycle change essentially can fail. Is that an applicable metaphor or example? To I think it about? is. They end up throwing a Hail Mary pass. And how often is that successful? Right. Not very often. Not often. <laughs> so if they don't have a playbook that they all agree on, in other words, yes. it's the focus of leadership, it derives the action of the players, and the feedback is, is the ball moving down the field? If they don't have that playbook and that cycle of leadership focus and decision-making, action of the front line and you know quarterback – and then the feedback to say, hey, how it went. They're not going to be successful. No, they go into panic mode. Right. And so, no. So I think you need that overall view. You need to have all those pieces of the system in place. And now you're ready to handle change. We've so, always had change. just coming out a little faster than right. in the past. So your argument around systems-based approaches versus reductionistic and, and fragmented yes. approaches is unassailable. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. Absolutely. The, the question, though, that the listeners are probably asking is, okay, so I, I'm buying that. However, this still sounds like it takes a long time. No, I don't. I don't. When you say this, when you say what? Doing a systems-based approach and going over the Baldridge and making sure that you have the connection between all these things. No, uh, it, it really doesn't. I mean, if you, ha you first of all, your organization, whether you call it this or not, is a system, and right. it does have subsystems within it. And you know, these today, most managers understand that and recognize that. What I think Baldridge brings to bear is the relationships between these pieces. It calls out the relationships. So yes, you understand you've got these subsystems and person X is running this one and person Y is running that subsystem and so forth. And this is the way we hired people and this is what our culture is like and we assess our, we do our, our satisfaction, customer satisfaction studies and so forth. We do all of that kind of stuff. But with Baldridge, Baldridge helps you really see how all of those things connect to each other and connect to the results. It's really not complicated. If you put it into graphical form and look at it that way and think about it that way and keep that image in front of you at all times, you don't have to have all those 370 questions to work with. You can go in there and pick out things that are relevant for you. You can use the 370 questions to assess your, your organization. Mm -hmm. right. you know, where do we stand today? We're really good here. We're not so good there. We need some help. So it gives you a systematic approach to assess your status today. So let's take that and in the remaining time we have left let's talk about that prescriptive line that yes. we started off with. yes so what's the right side of the prescriptive line so based on what you just said for example if you have a technology like a cascading scorecard software that you are able to map what you have and what you don't have into it so you can readily see your gaps yes and you can see where you're red yellow or green and know that you have to focus on the red and the yellow that is a tool yes that can help in accelerating your system's journey. Absolutely. Digital tools, I think, right now are, are critical. We need to make this as easy and as accessible as possible uh, for people. And that includes boards of directors. Boards of directors should have an app that helps them understand the system that they're overseeing. Right. Uh, people on the shop floor should have an app to help them understand the organization above them and around them that they're participating in. And then you made a really interesting statement last week, which was the Baldridge was generated from the educational side. It was a mm -hmm. model to follow. It, it wasn't. And so the, the other technology that is now 
quite sophisticated is uh, e-learning type mm -hmm. technology where it used to be even just you would watch a video and you would react to it, but now it's very interactive. You can create a whole scenario around an opportunity for improvement or how to maximize a strength within the organization and have people have that interaction without ever having to schedule a meeting. It's right. referred to as asynchronous group learning. Right. So the notion is as an organization is using a cascading scorecard tool to help them immediately track and work on their systems-based gaps, they also can then prioritize interventions that are not onerous. Yes but helps the different leaders and teams learn kind of as they go and be able to apply it yes. towards making better system performance. Yes, yes. And uh, that would be true for, for the board as well, correct? Uh, absolutely. The, the board especially needs something like that. One, uh, another, back to the board again. One of the, if you, if you divide, sort of take a piece of paper and on the top of the page you write the word uh, oversight and draw a box around it. Bottom of the page you write the word execution, draw a box around it. Oversight is the role of the board. Execution is the role of the management team and, and so forth, mid-management all the way down. Then there's a line between those two boxes, the line between execution and oversight. The thing that's interesting about that line is it moves. It can move up and it can move down. If you have like an overly strong or a very weak, overly strong CEO or a weak board, that line goes up. Mm -hmm. And so management and does the oversight function not the board. The board is not fulfilling its fiduciary responsibilities to its shareholders and stakeholders and so forth. And that board can, can also come down. If you've got an overly strong board that wants to get down into the weeds where they shouldn't be, the line is going down into the execution. They're doing some of that. So that's another way uh, to think about that and to think about systems. How can we put a system in place for the board so the board can understand where that line is and control that line? If you've got a CEO that perhaps too strong or a board that's too weak, you need to be able to fix that. So there's mm -hmm. a, there are systems approaches that can be used to help both management and the board at the same time so that you keep management doing what it's supposed to do, execution, and the board continue to do uh, oversight. That's a great visual. So let's, let's finish with this. So we had talked about focus, which is you know, mission, vision, values, and strategic priorities, mm -hmm. oversight, and management. We talked about the action, which is the empowerment and action on the front line. Feedback, though, and particularly with your background, yes. is really something fascinating. So what people often miss, it seems, is that the structure and access to data is successful only if it provides relevant feedback. So the example is, for example, a air, airport where you have air traffic control. They have information to weather. They have information about planes. They have gate agent information. But all of that structure is only relevant if the real-time feedback coming out of it is pertinent to the action or strategy exactly. they are trying to, to do. So talk to us a little bit about that because of you know, a huge background in, in data and statistical process control. Yeah. Well, think of even AI. Think of AI yes. today and then learning it takes, the learning is only as good as the data that's they being fed into in. the system. Yes. That's right. And, and so sometimes we forget about the area called measurement. You know, measurement, you know, how do we get these numbers? Right. How, how are we defining this variable that you're telling me about? All this data we've collected on, from our cell phones, from all these thousands and millions of people across, across the country, how do we define that variable? Is that the right variable is to use relevant? in my analysis? Mm -hmm. Is it relevant or not relevant? So those are, those are basic questions that you would address in a, an introductory or second level and or second level statistics course. 
that are as, were as important today as they were 100 years ago. And data is at the core of everything that we've talked about today. If we're talking about learning, we're talking about data. How do we get the data? How do we measure? Who measures it? There, there's this concept of original data. Oh, you've got all this data you've collected, but sort of the original data relates to who collected it, how they collected it, when did they collect it. Mm -hmm. It's not just a pile of numbers. Today, we've got big data. We've got millions right. of digits. You know, were they properly maintained? Was it properly managed over time in the computer system? Are we sure that this data wasn't collected, that the, the, the data from two different companies aren't somehow mixed together in here? There are all sorts so of issues integrity. now that are even mm -hmm. more complicated than they were 10 or 20 years ago, but it's still the same questions related to that particular data item. Is it meaningful? Uh, how did you come up with that number? Should I trust that number? And if you can't trust it, what, what are we it? doing? Mm -hmm. What is it? So, so just to summarize then for the listener, exceptional performance lives at the intersection of the focus strategy circle, yes, the action sort of operational mechanism circle, and the structure and information to access circle. If those three are in balance with good board oversight, management, empowerment, yes. and execution, you're good to go, which yes. is a systems-based approach, right? Absolutely. If, you're, if your strategic priority has prioritization but no idea of measurement, how are you going to know what you did? Right. If you're doing action but it's not tied to strategy or based upon feedback that's relevant to yes. what you're trying to accomplish, it, it's, it's just a lot of activity. And if you have structures that can be very complex, like big data and, and all kinds of committees and you know, investments in electronic medical records and so forth, but it's actually not providing you real-time feedback to help you with your action and your focus, yeah, not relevant. Sometimes CEO will hire an executive vice president or a vice president and say, look, you take that unit and you just run with it. It's yours, baby, you go, go do it, do your thing. I'm counting on you. Well, silo, you've created a That's silo right. now and you've authorized the silo. That's as wrong, that's as counter to systems thinking as you can possibly get. Well, look what we do in healthcare. I mean, we literally set up franchises between the radiology department and lab and the emergency department. It's like, and, and we do empower, go, go run your department as smooth as you can and make as much money and profitability be darned the rest of the organization. So orchestration ends up getting hammered that's right with that right patient mm -hmm. patient flow and throughput so we recently talked to uh, jane pope who's the ceo of um, hill country memorial hospital in uh, texas she shared in a round a ceo roundtable that we uh, conducted recently in birmingham the more complex it gets the simpler we get <laughs> which i love it, because because what you're really saying george with both of these sessions is Systems thinking is a requirement. It's a necessity. But it doesn't have to be complicated. No, 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 no. It's it not. actually simplifies operations because the entire organism, if you will, is now aligned and understands true root causal factors, what they need to be able to address. They're clear on st strategic focus. They're aligned on action. And their structure and access to data is giving them the kind of feedback they need to be successful. Yeah. You know, you, you might even make the argument that organizations could use a chief systems officer, you know, someone who is actually making sure it's running as a system. You know, bring that word system into play, uh, like we have a chief information officer. And I mean, it could be responsible of the, of, the, of the chief information officer, certainly. 
But I just think we have to bring it into people's consciousness because we've all been taught in school how to think scientifically. We've all been mm-hmm. taught to be reductionist in the, in the way that we analyze and take things apart. That comes naturally to us in this country. System thinking doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent way to end. So for our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed as much as we have having Dr. George Benson on our uh, Leader Dialogue radio show for these last two weeks. Uh, If you have any follow-up questions, you can ask those questions through the Leader Dialogue, D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E dot com website. We'll be happy to follow up. And we wish everyone a very happy holiday. Thank you very much, Ben. And thank you to everybody for listening to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Remember, you can listen to this show live every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time by visiting businessradiox.com, clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and selecting Leader Dialogue. Also, you can enjoy our past episodes by visiting leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben and Lisa and our special guest, Dr. George Benson, I'm Mike Salmon, and thank you once again for joining us for Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X. 